We are good to go. All right. So if you'll stand for the reading of the word as we honor God. It says, while, we, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned to seeing her. He said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players in the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this time that you have given us to just come and worship you. We have worshipped in song. We have worshipped in giving back to you. Now let us worship in proclaiming your word. And then let us continue to worship as we proclaim the word to those outside this building. I ask that you be with me as I proclaim and be a vessel to you to show your glory. Let our eyes be opened and our ears be opened to see and to hear your word. Let our hearts be open to receive it with gladness and joy. Transform our hearts and be in this house today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So I do a little bit different than Pastor Brian. I actually have some bullet points. So you note takers, you're welcome. You can actually follow along a little bit. And so my first one would be that Jesus has authority over the physical. Okay. And so in Matthew, in this section... We have two miracle stories that Matthew introduces us to, and both of these are very physical, tangible needs. And so we see how Jesus works with them. But before we do that, if you want to turn there, we're going to turn to Luke 8, because this is the parallel verse to it. And we're going to start in verse 40. It's a little bit longer. He's more of a narrative speaker, so you'll get a little more info in this. It says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowds welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And as Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered them, Do you not fear? Only believe, and she will be made well. And when, she came, when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But she charged them to tell. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. 
So that's just a, that's a parallel verse to give us a little more in-depth background to what's going on here. So like I said, the first point is that Jesus has authority over the physical. What does that mean? There's also some subpoints I got. So Jesus has authority over disease. We see in the wedged in the middle of the ruler story, we have a story about this woman that's had a disease for 12 years. That's roughly about half my lifetime. I can't imagine having something that long and not it going away. I get something for a month and I'm freaking out wanting to go to the doctor. But she's had this for 12 years. And I, I don't know if there's a connection, but it's, it's very interesting to me to see that also the daughter was 12 years of age at the same time that this woman had 12 years of this um, disease. And so if we look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 20, it says, And behold, a woman who had suffered from discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. So this, this disease she's had for 12 years, she's gone to every physician there is. She's spent all her living. So she has nothing left. She has no more hope. She has no money. There's no one, no one human that can help her anymore. And this has not just affected her physically, but it's affected her spiritually and socially. And you don't have to go there. You can just write it down. But if we look at Leviticus 15, 19, we can see where the law proclaims this woman to be unclean. So I'm going to read it real quick. So when a woman has a discharge, and the discharge on her body is blood, she, sh- she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. And everything on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean. Everything also which she sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches her bed shall, be wa- shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in the water and be unclean until the evening. And so according to Jewish law, this woman is considered to be an unclean person. And when there's an unclean person, they're put aside in Israel. They were put outside the camp away from the people as a whole because they were unclean. And, and with this, she was not able to worship in the temple. She was not able to participate in the regular religious customs. And so this affected her spiritually, affected her physically, and it affected her socially because people couldn't even touch her. So she was pretty isolated on her own. So here's this woman, a disease for 12 years, no social life, no Facebook, <laughs> no easy way to worship because she can't enter the temple. She can't be near her people. She can worship on her own, but that's about it. And so, and she's gone to every physician. She has no more money. She is left without a hope. Humanly, without Jesus, she's by herself without hope. And then the next subpoint is Jesus has authority over death. So this is also physical, but it's also reality, and Jesus has authority over that as well. And so we'll look back again at the, the story of the ruler. And it says in verse 18, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in, and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. In Luke, he said that the ruler came and fell to his knees and implored Jesus. So he didn't just come to Jesus. He implored him. He begged. He fell to his knees. This is a ruler of the synagogue. This is a guy with high standing coming to Jesus Christ for help. Okay? And if we go, jump down to verse 23... It says, And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And he laughed at him. And when the crowd had put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went, out throughout, 
went through all that district. So we, we know the typical movie idea that people go to a wedding. They stop the wedding, right? Jesus did the opposite. He went to a funeral and he said, stop the funeral. Pretty interesting. And they, and they laughed at him. And you can't really get mad at the crowd because to their perspective, to their eyes, this girl is dead. She's, there, there should be a funeral. So who is this guy to come and say, stop, that she's just sleeping? So, of course, they laugh. And I feel like, humanly speaking, we'd be in that kind of same boat. Without knowing who Jesus is, we would be in that same boat of, who is this guy to come in and stop a funeral and say a girl's sleeping rather than she's dead? We've checked her pulse. She's not living. She's not breathing. She's there. Now, Luke and Matthew's stories, they're both a little bit different on when the ruler comes to Jesus. One says the daughter's already dead. One says that she's dying. I don't think that's the main point here, but I think that in, when he comes to Jesus, she's in the current state of dying. She's not dead yet. And so they make their way to his house, and they get stopped by this woman. And in the meantime, that woman stopping them, by the time he gets to the ruler's house, the girl is then dead. So I don't think it really is a big issue on whether she was dead or dying. By the time he got to the actual house, she was dead, no pulse. And to the human perspective, to the crowd, she was not sleeping, she was dead. And it's also interesting that the ruler had the opportunity to experience that first miracle of the woman. Because the ruler is with him. So Jesus and the ruler and his disciples are going to his house, and he gets stopped in that crowd by this woman. So the ruler is there. He sees the miracle of Jesus. He sees the power of Jesus being done. He sees what Jesus can do. So I think that gives him a little hope on where he's going with his daughter. And so, again, first point, Jesus has authority over the physical. He has authority over disease. He has authority over death. If we look at these two people, we see that they're both left without a hope. Without Christ, they're left without a hope. There's a girl that has no money. She can't go to any other position. She's been with us for 12 years. She has no social life. She has no religious life, really. She's left without hope. We see the ruler coming to Jesus' feet. He, he falls on his knees and he begs and implores Christ to help. That is an imagery of hopelessness. And so... I think the point here with these two people is that without Christ, we are left with hope. Without hope. We are hopeless, left to ourselves. Okay? I think that's a, coming to Christ, I think that's a realization we need to know. That without Christ, we are in a hopeless state. And then even, here's the good thing about Jesus. He's very humble in everything he does. So even in his miracles, he is very humble by saying, he tells the crowd to leave the house. He does it only in the sight of James and John and someone else, one of the other disciples, and the parents. That's it. So here's the Almighty God about to do some miracle, but before he does it, he still sends away the crowd and does it in a more private, personal manner. And so Christ is still also in his power, in his authority, showing humility. And also, back to the point of hopelessness, the ruler, this was his only daughter. This isn't Luke. This was his one and only daughter on her deathbed. And he confesses that Jesus is able to do this. We see that. We see that he comes, he says, if you only come and touch her, if you come and see her, she will live. That's a proclamation, a confession that Jesus can do what he came to do. 
And I want to read a quote from David Platt. It's from his book over, it's like an expository commentary book over, he's got a whole series, but this one was over Matthew, and he says this. He says, The one who has authority over disease, natural disasters, and demons, the one who has severed the root of all suffering with his authority over sin, has authority over death itself. This authority will ultimately be shown when Jesus dies on the cross. And make no mistake, as the one with power over death Jesus really died, was placed in a tomb. His heart flatlined for three days before he walked out of the tomb on, on his own authority. Keyword, on his own authority. Death does not have the last word. Jesus does. There's no other way I could have said that better. So I thought I'd quote David Platt on it. And so again, we're left with two people that are without hope, humanly speaking. And we see two very physical, real, tangible needs that they need to be met. Does this say that Jesus is always going to come and meet our physical needs? Not necessarily. There's a greater point here. But he does in these circumstances. In these circumstances, he does heal these people. But is he, he doesn't just fill this, but he fills their greatest need of all, which is the forgiveness of sins. And I think we can make that connection if we go back to when we talked about the paralytic. He says that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. When he saw his faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. This guy's a paralytic. And so I think we can make a connection of Jesus isn't just taking care of their physical needs, but he's taking care of their greatest need of regeneration and forgiveness of sins. And so the second point would be that Jesus has authority to save. Authority over sin, specifically speaking. And so... There's two ways to look at this. Is this. Are these people dealing with these diseases and these death and this limpness and stuff because of their sin? Because there's two ways to go about it. Sometimes we are disciplined as children of God. And sometimes sin is a reflection of our stuff. But I don't think that's the point. I don't think that's happening here. I think it's the overall, we live in a fallen world full of sin. We have been redeemed. We have been brought up in Christ. But we still live in these earthly bodies. We still live with death, with disease, with natural disasters, those things don't stop here on earth. We still have those. And so I think the, the cause is not the sin, not, not their personal sin, but it's more of a global, we live in a fallen world kind of sin. This is where we're at. We still deal with disease. We still deal with death. We still deal with these disasters. As bad as they are, the devil's still on the earth working in ways that we don't like. And... Christ isn't coming to say that I'm going to heal all your physical needs, as some people like to say. And here, specifically, he does, and that's to show his authority and ability to do it. It's not showing that, oh, if I go to Jesus, my, my disease is going to be healed. My daughter's going to live. That's not the point here. We can see the power that Jesus has through these miracles, and that's kind of the display he's showing, that I came to do what I said I can do. And I'm not only going to fulfill your physical needs so these people can see my power but I'm going to fill your greatest need that you don't yet understand and that's the forgiveness of your sins and so because he says a couple times he says your faith has made you well your faith has made your daughter well and so if we can connect that statement with the statement of the parallel like your faith has made you well your sins are forgiven I think we can say that their sins are forgiven because of their faith in Christ and so again these two people are left without hope but they also come to a recognition, which is what we all need to do, that these people need Christ. They need forgiveness of sins. And so when we are coming to Christ, I think we need to 
One, realize our hopelessness. Realize that we are sinners in a fallen world. And realize our need for Christ. The whole Old Testament points to Christ. The Mosaic Law points to Christ. The Mosaic Law is something that we try to fulfill and we fail and we fail and we fail. The point of it is to point to Christ who can fulfill it. And I think that's the two realizations, or three realizations we need to know. Is one, we're hopeless without him. Two, we, we are sin, sinful in sinful world. And three, we need Christ and Christ alone. Yeah. And just to go, go back on the... If you want to look in Hebrews as a passage to back up that we deal things sometimes as a discipline, as a father disciplines a child, God disciplines us. And so we do deal with some stuff in results of our sins. So if you go to Hebrews 12, verse 5, it says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for, God, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to show those righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so sometimes we deal with the repercussions of our sins, not as a condemnation, but as a discipline from a father to a child to say, you're not doing good. Come back to me. But again, in this specific passage, I think he's speaking onto a global sinful world that we're living in. And that's where this disease is at. That's where this death is at. That's where the paralytic is at. And that's why these things are occurring. Our bodies still break down even though we have Christ. We won't have that till we are in our glorified bodies. And so as a result of living in a fallen world, we're going to deal with these things. And Christ is not always going to heal those. And we need to know that. Sometimes it happens and there's a greater glory to it. It happened here to show his power and to show that he is the one that can do this, that he has authority over this. He has authority over the oceans that we see in earlier in Matthew where he, they were in the boat, sleep, he was sleeping as the storm was rising and the disciples were freaking out and they had little faith and he says, why are you having little faith? I have authority over this. And they even say, who is this man that he even, uh, he even commands the winds or something in that respect. So he has authority over everything. That's where he's showing here. He's showing his authority. He's showing his power to do what he says he can do. And so it's not always going to be that way, and we have to live with that because we do live in a fallen world. But here he does show that, and this is, yeah. And so they're both without hope until Christ comes, and they receive their hope, and they both know it. We got, here we go, hang on. I'm losing myself a little bit here. Yeah. If you look back at Matthew, we see their faith. Matthew 9.18 Matthew 9, he says, while, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus arose and followed him with his disciples. And so he, he recognizes that Jesus can do this. His faith is in Christ. 
He confesses that Jesus can do what he says he does. He believes that. So that's where this ruler's faith is. And if we look at the woman in verse 21, it says, For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. And Jesus turned turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And so she, they both have a belief that Christ can do this miracle, that Christ can fulfill the needs that no one else can. And so I think it's through faith that our sins are forgiven and these people are healed and brought. They're not just changed because no longer she has a disease. They're not just changed because his daughter's now living. They are walking away with a different sight of Christ. They came to him as an immediate need, but Christ gave them that immediate need and also showed them where their greatest need is. And so they're walking away from this story with a better realization of who they are in Christ. And so there's, there's two responses to, to these stories and to Christ and our faith in him. Either we have faith or we don't. Either there's faith or there's disbelief and there's laughter. The, the crowd laughed at him when he said that she's sleeping and not dead. Because, I mean, to them, humanly speaking, she was dead. But they kind of lacked the faith that Christ, who Christ is and who, what he can do. I guess they missed the point of all the other things he's done up to, up to this point. I guess they weren't there to see that. But So one response is disbelief and laughter and just not believing what Christ can actually do. And then there's belief in, through faith in Christ. That's the two responses we have. What is your response to Christ? When Christ shares, shows you the gospel, opens your eyes, how do you respond to him? Do you respond and believe that he can do what he says he can do in his word? Or do you shun him and laugh at him and walk away and continue in your sin? That's what you need to ask yourselves today. And if you look in, closing out, if you look in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it's the first you, you can look at if you want to. It's a pretty good one. I just lost it in my book. That's nice. Give me one second, guys. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so not only does Christ provide us with a way to live, a way of forgiveness of sins, not only does it do that, but he does it abundantly. He doesn't just give enough. He gives you an abundance of it. And so why, why, would you, why would you run away from that? And it also says in Romans, some, I didn't look at this verse, but somewhere in Romans it says that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That's not a reason to sin, but that where you sin, Christ has you covered. And that's our response. Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. I, I pray and hope that you've been glorified today. That we, as we opened up your word, as we opened up and seen what you have to say to us, that you've transformed our hearts, that you've penetrated the darkness that lingers within. I ask that you let us hold on to it and walk out of these doors and proclaim the truth of you to them. But Father, let us reflect and ask, what is our response to you? Do we, do we fall in disbelief and laugh and don't believe that you can do what you say? Or do we believe you and have faith 
and results is forgiveness of sin. Father, I thank you for this time. To your blessed name we pray. Amen. Amen. Number 209, Rock of Ages.